reverence for God's Word. As we read together James chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 21 through 25. The Word of God is living and active, and so let us give our attention to it. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So in the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Father, this is indeed your word, and you speak to us through it, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would open our ears to hear your voice, open our eyes to see your son, Jesus Christ, open our hearts to receive these things, that we might live by them. Um, And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In March of 1775, the Second Virginia Convention met together in Richmond, Virginia, in St. John's Church to discuss how Virginia would respond to the brewing conflict with Great Britain. And there were many men that attended that. It was a who's who of leadership at that particular time. Many men stood up and spoke of the hope that they had that things would be reconciled with Great Britain, that there needed to be a posture of patience and perhaps appeasement of the British government as they conducted their affairs in the American colonies. And one man, Patrick Henry, was unconvinced by the debate And so after a period of time, he stood up and he began to give his position on the matter. And after having given his arguments for what he believed Virginia should do, he said these words. He said, there is no longer any room for hope. If we wish to be free, we must fight. I repeat it, sir. We must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand here we idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear? Is peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains? And slavery, forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And with these words, so began a course of events that eventually resulted in our American independence. And two and a half, almost two and a half centuries later, The core values of liberty and freedom and independence are still very much a part of our American psyche. It doesn't seem like there's a year that goes by where we're not hearing something about how there's 
a threat or potential threat on our civil or personal liberties and what must be done about it, how we ought to react. And these things are part of who we are. Um, but as with all things, when it comes to liberty, freedom, even independence, those things need to be defined by God's word. We need to understand them rightly. And I hope you caught it as we read together from James chapter 1. James uses this curious, this curious phrase, the law of liberty. The law of liberty, which I think to us in our American ears might seem like a contradiction of terms. But it isn't. It isn't. In fact, God's, God's law is liberty. God's law provides that liberty and frees us to be the way that to live the lives that we were intended to be. And that's what we need to see as we look at this passage today is that in Christ Jesus, we have been set free. We have been set free to obey this law of liberty. And in this law, there is true freedom and true blessing. So uh, throughout this passage, uh, James uses the, the term, or he's talking about the word of God, He's talking about the law. The focus is on the word of God. And so we'll, we'll look at this passage real briefly under two headings. First, we're going to look at the identity that James gives to the word. And then we're going to talk about the nature or uh, the effects of, of this word. So let's start with the identity. If we were to obey this law of liberty, it's good for us to understand what that is. So let's look at all the things that James says about this word. In verse 21... He says, um, he talks about the implanted word. But if we went back to verse 18, which was outside of what we read, uh, I'm sorry, in verse, yeah, verse 18, he says, he calls this the word of truth. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So this word, the word of God, is truth. It, is, uh, it contains truth, it proclaims truth, it teaches us truth. It is truth itself, and it's true because it is God's breathed out word. It is absolute truth. But it's not just truth, it's also a law. He says in verse uh, Verse 25, he, he calls this the perfect law, the perfect law. It is perfect because it is a law that is without error. Um, it is perfect because it is complete. God would have us not add to it. He would have us live by the law that he has provided. There's nothing more that he needs to add to it. But it is also a, we'll see this in a little bit, a perfecting law. That is, it allows us by obedience to God's law, it gives us the opportunity to perfect our faith. And if that makes you nervous, that statement makes you nervous, stand by and let's see if we can get to an understanding of that. So it is the perfect law. But thirdly, it is, he says, the law of liberty. And we'll, we'll unpack this, this notion of the law of liberty more throughout our sermon here. But, but James is particularly concerned with this term. He he. He brings this up again in chapter 2, and he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So whatever this law of liberty is, this ought to be the guiding principle for us as believers. Because we must speak and act 
as though we will be judged by this law of liberty. All right? So uh, that's a little bit about the identity of the word, but let's look at the nature of this word. So back in verse 21, James says that this is the implanted word. So this is the word that, that has been implanted into our hearts, that God himself has planted that into us. And surely this should conjure up in your thoughts what God had promised in Jeremiah chapter 31 when he was promising that he would write his law on his, the hearts of his people. He would write his law. And we, we saw this last week in Proverbs chapter 3 where Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3 said, write my commands on your heart. But we didn't. We wrote sin on our hearts, as we saw in Jeremiah chapter 17. But now God has implanted his law in our heart. So it's an implanted word. It, is, it has been put there. And yet, even though it's been put there, he says, he says, receive this implanted word. Receive it with meekness. Receive this. And he, give, he tells us how we ought to receive it. What that receiving of this word that has been given to us means, he says, it, it obviously involves hearing. You hear words um, and you receive them through your ears. Um, the Apostle Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ as is proclaimed and preached and read from God's word. But James, throughout this passage, I mean, he's talking about what it means to be a true hearer. And a true hearer is not just somebody who lets it hit their eardrums or even somebody that says, well, I understand what that's saying. He's saying if you are a true hearer, you do what it says. It's doing the word. That is the true hearing, the true obedience. So that's one part of receiving is the hearing, but there's also the looking. Uh, James uses this illustration of a mirror. And what we need to understand is that in James's day, mirrors were not like our mirrors. They were basically polished metal, highly polished metal. And most people didn't have mirrors, so they weren't looking in them often. And when you looked, it was an imperfect image. But he says that, you know, we need to be like somebody who looks intently in a mirror, but then remembers. There's... Um, it's not just seeing ourselves in the light of God's word, but it is a perceiving, it is an introspection, it is a recognition. It's when we come to God's word and we hear it or we read it, it's a, it's a mirror on, our, on ourselves. Uh, James says that the, the natural mirror is showing our natural face. We see only the outward appearance, but God's word is showing us the inner self. And ladies, maybe you, perhaps you remember what 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about where it has a specific exhortation to women and it says your adornment should not be uh, solely based upon outward beauty, but what God is looking for is a inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And God's word gives insight to what God sees as precious and beautiful in his sight. And he would have us look and evaluate 
and inspect our very soul. So it's this receiving is hearing and seeing, but it's also persevering. Verse 25, he says, whoever looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets what a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So this is not a reading one time. This is not a uh, looking one time. This is not a hearing one time. This is a lifelong pursuit, a lifelong inspecting, daily evaluating, daily listening to what God would have us do, and daily walking in it. It's a continuing. And, and uh, perhaps you can see how this is tied to the act of what we call repentance, because repentance is a, is a heart attitude where we recognize that God is God, and we are not, and we come to his word, and we want to hear what he has to say, and then we allow that to affect the way that we live so that we recognize that we are out of accord with God, what God has called us to. We confess it, and then we turn from it, and we begin to walk in the way that he has called us to live. Um, and and he, that in verse 21, that's kind of what he was hinting at. He says, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. So it's, a, it's an act of repentance that is a daily thing where we're moving away from our wisdom and moving to God's wisdom in the law. And this is what true meekness is. Um, so... To, but then, but then he says that this is, a, this is a very important thing because he says whoever does these things, he will be blessed in his doing. And before we minimize that blessing, like just go back to verse 21. So you see what it says? He says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This word is able to save your souls. That's significant blessing. That is eternal blessing. So how are we to understand that? And I think what we have to do is we have to go back to what James is, this, 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 this title of God's word as the law of liberty. We would rightly say that we are saved by God. God salvation is wrought by God himself. God intervenes. And, and Ephesians says that we are saved by God's grace through faith, through faith. But Romans also says that faith comes by hearing. So for us to, if, if salvation is through faith and faith comes by hearing, then do you see the importance of hearing and hearing rightly and receiving with meekness? It is, it is the word as it, we receive it with meekness in faith that God brings about the grace of his salvation. And so the, the word is the, the means by which the new birth happens as we receive it by faith. And Peter says this same thing. He says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Through the living and abiding word of God. And so when we hear the word, and we look intently, as James exhorts us to, into this perfect law. It 
shows us that we are, I mean, this, this word declares to be God's word. And so God, when we look intently and we see that we are out of accord with it, if we receive it with meekness, we are recognizing that we are sinners apart from his grace. And we need his grace. That law is driving us to repentance. And it's driving us to Christ, saying, woe is me, what shall I do? But then the law of liberty says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came to set us free from the demands of the law, to bear the weight of our sin, and that he did it. But you must believe, you must receive, and you must repent, and you must walk in it. That is the law of liberty. And Scripture is clear that it, when, when we do that, what Jesus has wrought is he has set us free from the bondage of sin. He has broken the chains of our sin. But it's not absolute freedom. Absolute freedom. We, we read it just a little bit earlier. We become, we go from slaves to our sin to slaves of righteousness. Uh, the language of Scripture is one of transfer. We we were slaves to sin, but we now become slaves of righteousness. We were part of the kingdom of darkness, but now we have been put into the kingdom of his glorious son. We were children of the devil, but now we are sons of God. But slaves have masters. Kings have laws. Fathers have rules. There, it, there, it is not absolute freedom. We are not free of obligation but we are still under authority. And beloved, what we need to understand is that true freedom does not mean absolute freedom. Absolute freedom means that we are, well, we can't be, because there's only one absolutely free being, and that is God himself. We are, crea we are creatures of the Almighty God, and part of our composition as creatures is inherently under authority. Only God is fully autonomous. Only God is fully independent. We, as creatures, we are always dependent and always servants of something. We can see this in nature. As much as we might want to be able to breathe underwater, to be free to breathe underwater, we are bound to breathe oxygen. And we need to be assisted if we're going to be underwater or we're going to be in space. As much as we might want to be free to fly unassisted, we are bound by the laws of gravity to, to and, and we can't, we can't uh, apart from any kind of assistance, we can't break through that. And even in our interpersonal relationships, uh, our, our human relationships were under authority. When I was a, a young software engineer newly out of college, I worked at a software consulting company and I was frustrated because I had all these ideas about how I wanted to write the software and what I wanted to do with the software. And everything was determined by the project manager and he was coming up with the requirements. And I just said, well, I want to go work at a product company because if I work at a product company, I will be able to come up with all my ideas of how I want this product to be and we'll sell it to the customer. But what I didn't realize is that in a product company, you have a product owner who is determining the, the features and how that software is going to look. And that product owner is just doing what he's 
what he's learned from the, the sales team or the management team. And the sales team is, is beholden to the customers and what they want. And the management is beholden to the, the board of directors or their customers. And everybody is under authority of somebody else. You can't escape it. There's no absolute freedom to be able to do. We're always under someone's authority. As the old Bob Dylan song said, you got to serve somebody. We all serve somebody. And this, this notion of absolute freedom with zero restrictions is a lie of the serpent from the Garden of Eden. It was the lie that said, you can be like God, and you can be free. And he tempted us, tempted our first fathers with this lie that we could break free from the authority of God himself. And that lie was a trap. Because as soon as we broke free from the authority of God, we enslaved ourselves to our sin. And that is the lie that we drink deep each and every morning as we wake up in the morning. In the quest for absolute freedom, we took on absolute bondage. The Lord Jesus Christ said, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And that's you and that's me. The question isn't, are we going to be servants of anyone? The question is, who are we going to serve? And our sin enslaves us. But God says that he has given us his law of liberty. Our God says that he is a God of freedom. And I'll give you some examples. So we read the Ten Commandments today. And I don't know if you've caught this because it, it took me a long time to catch this, but at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, what does God say? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of the house of bondage. But then he turns around and he gives his law, which I think should trigger something in our hearts to recognize that he has, he has not, he's not taken us out of slavery just to put us back in slavery, but there's something about this law that frees us. There's something about being under the authority of our God that sets us free and gives us liberty. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. But then he turns around and he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So there's something that is true rest in submitting ourselves to this law of liberty. There's something truly freeing of it. There's something about this law that, that, tr that doesn't burden us, but gives us rest and sets us free. And here's, here's where I think we see this. First of all, this law of liberty drives, it, it leads us to Christ. If we look intently at this mirror and we see the depth of our need for a Savior, it, free, it drives us to Christ knowing that we can't satisfy these demands on our own. We, we understand the slavery that we are under. And it, looking at this law teaches us that Christ himself was bound with our sin, God placed, his, placed our sins on him. 
and nailed him to the cross to bear the penalty for that sin. He was bound by that sin so that he could burst the bonds of our sin in his death and resurrection. But then that law commands us to repent and trust. And that repentance frees us from this self-reliance, this self-deception that we are able to satisfy this on our own. And it allows us to, it frees us to accept the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. But then it commands us to walk in accordance with his law and perfect that faith. That's what James is talking about throughout this book is that um, he, he talks about faith. You know, you can say that you have faith, but show me by what you do. And so there's an aspect where the walking in God's law demonstrates that faith, but it's also a blessing as we do it. And consider the ways. We've, we've talked about how uh, Scripture speaks of the snares, the snares that are there for those who walk in accordance with the foolish. And those snares were there from the beginning. When God gave the command in the garden, and he said, don't eat from that tree, that wasn't a restrictive command. God was trying to protect Adam and Eve to say, don't eat from that because on the day you eat that, you will die. That will be a snare of your soul for, and for all creation. He was trying to protect us there. But he, Adam and Eve, violated that law. And in Scripture, in, in, particularly in Proverbs, just looking at Proverbs, over and over Solomon speaks of the snares that are avoided by walking in God's ways. He talks about the snare of the adulteress. There's a snare of the fear of man. There's the snare of the lips of a fool. He says the love of money and the desire to be rich will be a snare. He says anger and wrath will be a snare. And if you're anything like me, you've experienced the snare of those things. And you know that ignoring God's law, walking in your own ways, it's, it's a trap. It's a stranglehold on your, on your soul, and you need to be released from it. But that's what Christ came to do, is to release us from its power and to walk in its ways. And so the law is freeing us from those snares. But it's also freeing us from the guilt and shame and self-harm that is ours. God teaches us, look, this is the way you ought to live to avoid that guilt, to avoid that shame, to avoid that self-harm, to walk in my ways, to be blessed in all that you do. Do this and live, he says. But also, you know, it's, it's freedom to receive the blessing that God has intended from the very beginning. I mean, we read through Psalm 119 as part of the adoration of God's law, and the psalmist over and over again talks about how wonderful God's law is, how beautiful, how glorious, what a blessing it is. And the wisdom of Proverbs over and over speaks of the blessing of God's law. And there's the freedom of the fullness of joy. The Lord Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, if you, uh, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. There's, there's, we struggle for joy. And God says, this, 
This is how you find the joy. I'm, I'm showing you the, the path. This is, this is the course. And this is ultimately a path to holiness and eternal life. It proves, it proves out God's work of salvation in our lives. There, it, it, genuine faith and maturing faith is worked out in holiness. The law perfects uh, our faith through the Spirit-wrought obedience as we walk in His ways. This is what we just read from Romans chapter 6. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. It, 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 gives us, it leads us to the new birth, but it also leads us to grow in grace and it leads us to our glorious hope, eternal life. And beloved, the problem is not with the term law. That's, we, have a, we have a problem with law. God's law is good and, bless, and a source of blessing. And our inability to obey it and our hatred of the idea of any kind of constraints on our lives is evidence that we need Christ. It's evidence that we just don't understand God's love for us in how he has expressed his will to us. But obedience brings freedom to experience the joy and blessing for which we were created. Now, I have, we need to be very clear. When we talk about obedience to God's law, we are not saying obedience to God's law apart from Christ or obedience in addition to what Christ has done. This Obedience is in Christ Jesus. It is only in Christ Jesus that we have been set free to walk in obedience to his commands. It is only by God's power that we are united to all that Christ has done in his perfect life, death, and resurrection. And it is only by the spirit of Christ, the spirit of obedience, that we can walk in his ways. And so only in Christ are we truly free. I guess to that point, if you don't know the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then let me encourage you to hear what God's Word says. That, that in Christ Jesus, you can be free. You can be free. God himself speaks to you and says, Come to my Son Believe in him, repent of your ways, walk in my ways, and you will have the blessing for which you were created. Blessing and joy forevermore because you will be mine and I will be yours and you will experience my joy. But for us, uh, the application is, is right there in the text. We need to receive God's law with meekness. We need to look intently and we need to persevere in obedience. And that's the way that we can be, walk in this law of liberty. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. But the reality is our Lord Jesus Christ gave us his death that we may have liberty, that we may have his, the freedom that comes by us. He became our sin so that by his power we could be set free and live unto righteousness. And every year on July 4th, we celebrate our nation's independence. But beloved, 
each and every Sunday, each and every Lord's Day, we gather together to celebrate the freedom and the liberty that has been purchased for us by Jesus Christ because we celebrate his death, his resurrection, and we are reminded of his glorious and gracious law of liberty that we might walk in it. And so let us walk in this law of liberty. Let us live with it. In the, by the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might find joy and blessing and sanctification reaching its blessed end, even eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you speak to us through your word. We, we ask you to, as you have implanted your word, would you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight, as you've promised to do in your word. Help us to experience this fullness of joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.